Hey everyone, this is my brother Michael. My brother Adam. We're the Sharf Brothers. You're listening to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. That voice. <laughs> so that is Rebecca Martin. Rebecca Martin. Singing with her band Once Blue. Once Blue. Oh. Uh, that is our guest today on the I know. I'm so excited to podcast. talk to her. I am so excited. I cannot wait. You know, and then she followed that up with, a, you know, a number one jazz album in France with, you know, her album Twain and, you know, uh, that Mike, uh, Michelle uh, content of uh, Telerama France gave four stars, calls it miraculous alchemy between singer and bass player. I mean, she just... Yeah, you know this. It's this, she's just incomparable. She's incomparable. Amazing, huge talent, lifelong talent. Uh, genuinely, genuinely good person. From, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we're super excited to bring to bring this uh, this podcast to you. Yeah, grab yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Exactly. And 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 we should just mention that uh, we uh, there are some technical difficulties in here with the audio. Yeah. It, you know this happens with uh, phones in upstate with, New York with the technology. You know. Man. When you, this is what happens, but we we got we got most of it in. We lost a little bit at the end, right? Uh, and there's yeah. a l- little bit of uh, fuzziness. But you but, know what? Hey, in the old days, we used to like what it sounded like listening to like a record and like a seventy-eight. We put that on our. We put we, we put, put that on record scratch exactly. So, so you can imagine that in this podcast, right. we have put a little bit of record scratch on it to make you feel the authenticity just right. dripping through and make this it sound you know like like someone's far away and exactly. You know, we just we've added that for your listening pleasure exactly right enjoy it it's like retro exactly retro's in exactly so enjoy this uh this this interview with uh rebecca martin brother michael is here as well (laughs) hi michael how are you it's so so great to talk so great thank you so much for being on the show oh you got it of course thanks for reaching out (laughs) where do we begin with with uh your expansive career i did not know you were from rumford maine yeah. Now, where in where in New Hampshire is this? So we're in Portsmouth. Portsmouth, which oh, is you're in Portsmouth. Yeah, which is where I first uh, we we actually first saw you play at the music hall, right? In, in Once Blue. Blue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm from Bethel, Maine, Rumford Point, Bethel. Nice. And yes. I say I say Bethel because most people. I mean, I grew up in um, rural Rumford Point, so it was very close to the Bethel. Um, Bethel area, mm-hmm. so I like to say that so people have a reference right. point. Absolutely, but um, <clears throat> yeah. So, I, but I grew up. Are we were so are we moving forward here? Oh yeah, we are absolutely. Okay. So, so I grew up in um, rural Maine, in um, right off of uh, Route Five on the Ellis River and the Androscoggin River, and um, you know, I I had always wanted. To, to be singing, but I hadn't thought of it really as a career. It was just something that I did, and I did every day uh, for myself. Mm-hmm. And I spent um, also a, a lot of time outside. We had a little farm that was in the midst of 300 acres, which is not unusual, right, in yeah. rural Maine. Yeah. So I had, a, I had a lot of space, and I spent most of my days outside and that imprint I think is very present, you know, yeah. in my writing, 
you know, yeah, all it that sure stuff, is. along with other things. But my parents, um, you know, I was kind of a rebellious kid, and I, I, um, I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was really never going with going along with the the opportunities that were in front of me creatively. I just was not going to, um, and I don't know why it wasn't. Again, something that I chose to do for any reason, except that it just didn't feel right. Right. But, you know, there were certain singing opportunities. There was chorus and, you know, plays, et cetera. Yeah. And I just wasn't going to to um, to entertain doing anything different than the way I was doing them, <laughs> um, which, is, which is really great. But it also, you know, now as an adult, I know that having your own way with things is terrific and also understanding how to do them in a conventional way is also, it only helps, can only help you. But I do believe that, and I'm glad that my parents gave me the freedom to find my own way with with my creativity. You know, I was dyslexic, I'm dyslexic, yeah. which is one in three people are. My right, son yep. is. Me too. Adam is too. But, yeah, but, but back then that wasn't really no, it uh, wasn't. known and it was, you know, so, so I had, so I had to find my own way to do everything. Yeah. And my parents found a recording studio in oh, Bethel. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah the Outlook, mm-hmm. um, Connie and Ted St. Pierre, and they were, I don't know, they were probably fairly new from, from the Boston area, mm-hmm. I think. And they took me in, and, uh, you know, I mean, there were a lot of things between then and this time, but this, these are the, 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 the most impression, impressionable things for me. And so at a very young age, I was working in a recording studio, and I had the opportunity. Yeah. It, it was tape. It was 24 tracks. Right. I watched it grow. It was a 12-track. It just kept growing until it was 24 track and it was the Studer Trident Studios tape and splicing tape. And Absolutely. Yeah. Old school. So I was really, yeah. So that's how I, how I began. And I, I think that experience not only helped me, I mean, I was exposed to so much music yeah. that I probably wouldn't have heard without them. But I also became very comfortable in the recording studio. Um, I don't know how old I was somewhere, you know, my my uh, tween years when I started, which is pretty great, mm. 12 or so. Oh, absolutely. Until I left, and I went to um, college at the University of Maine in Augusta, mm-hmm. studied jazz performance, and quickly realized that I, I just wanted to get to New York, which <laughs> I kind of knew anyway. Right. But um, I didn't. Again, it's it's kind of an amazing thing, and they say this, that whatever you're doing at the age of 10-ish are the things that you should be doing as an adult. Wow. You know? And at 10, I was singing and I was organizing. So, you know, I had a, I had a, a business in every closet of the house. I had oh school, God. I had a library, I yeah. had a doctor's office, and I was singing. So I wasn't again, thinking in terms of what it meant to have a career in any of this stuff. I just knew I right. really wanted to be in New York City, yeah. which I had seen when I was really young. Um, I was, 
my my parents brought me there to see a play, and then Connie brought me there to to interview with record labels. Wow. Um, wow. Sixteen. So I just kind of knew I was going to be. Dead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pretty clear. So it's amazing to me that you at sixteen got to go and experience what uh, labels were like in New York and. How did that inf- sort of inform what you, where you went from there? Well, I'm trying to remember the label we went to. I think it was Electra at mm-hmm. the time, and it was a guy named Kevin Patrick, who I think had signed Madonna or something. I don't know wow. how we got there. So, you know, it was a little soul-crushing. Oh, definitely. I admit, at the time, I mean, I was really young, and um, it was just, you know, I was used to doing what I was doing and thinking about it the way I thought about it and to go into <laughs> New York and be told that I probably had a career, but I'd have to come back or something. Right. I don't remember. I just, you know, I didn't expect that Yeah. so much, but I was, you know, it was very, very eye-opening mm-hmm. in many ways along with that, but just seeing a big city and, and so many people and, you right. know, there were, there were just a lot of things that were new, obviously. So it was yeah. great. And, and somehow I just knew that that was where I needed to be. That was so, you know? and you yeah. sort of kept that in, they, you sort of kept that, that kernel in you while you went through school and, uh, and then did you move there immediately after or? Yeah. Well, I never finished school in Augusta. I okay. went there for a year. I had a great year, but I just realized that it was just not, it wasn't big enough. I needed <laughs> to be someplace, a big city. I yeah, needed yeah. that, and it was New York. So I left and came to, to New Paltz because I had a yeah. friend at New Paltz for mm-hmm. a bit. So that was my next stop, and, you know, I got there, and it was really terrific to suddenly be in an environment where there were lots of people, and right. I ended up running the radio station there. Just within months, I was put in, <laughs> in you know, as the, the head of the radio station, and Love it. from there, I got hired, uh, long story short, yeah. um, I got offered a job at MTV Networks, and left school again. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> So I worked at MTV for a few years, right at the time that it was most creative. Absolutely. That was, um, yeah. Yeah. Around 1980, 1988, 89, oh, 90, that's I was perfect. there. So, yeah. And yeah, they still played music back City. then. They did. <laughs> and they were just starting to do programming. Right. Um, and so that, that was my ticket in, where I had a job. I knew no one. I moved to the Bronx by myself. Wow. And uh, just um, started to become more familiar with the city in this new way. And I was, you know, in a position to move up. And I decided I had to stop because I wanted to be singing. So I quit the job with nothing, with with a couple of hundred bucks in the bank. Wow. And, um, you know, just started making my way. And the first, the first opportunities that came were me working with some of the, you know, I worked with this manager who I had found and I had convinced to work with me. Um, <laughs> and that's really the way I just was so driven yeah. um, to, to have experience. You know, I, right. again, 
I wasn't really sure what a career meant, in, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. because I, because of my background and where I was from and how I viewed the world. And right. what could this be? How do I fit into this, this idea, which I never did? You know, I yeah. could never... When I worked at MTV, I did a couple of big shows and, you know, it was pouring rain. I'm in my clogs and I have, I'm soaking wet, drenched with a headset and watching these, these beautiful manicured stars walking the red carpet and thinking, I don't think that's what I can do. I don't think that's me. Yeah. Which was unnerving because here I am like moving into this idea of making music and yeah. Thinking, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Because I don't, I don't know if I can do it that way. Now, what kind of music were you a, doing at the time? Well, I was just discovering my music because, um, you know, again, I, as a singer, I was singing whatever was put in front of me. Right. And um, so, you know, the first phase of this was being matched with these power writers that wrote, you know, pop songs for Celine Dion and (laughs) whatever they people who, who, um, who I actually became very close to and still remain close to songwriters that, you know, go into a room three or four times a day with three or four different, uh, singers and write songs for hoping that one of them will become a big hit. Yeah. Right. And so everything that we did had some crazy chorus or right. something that I would throw in that they were like, this is never going to work. We, we have to, <laughs> this is, this is, what does that even mean, what you're saying? This right. is not, you know, let's get back to brass tacks and making this simple, you mm-hmm. know? And so every song we ever wrote had these strange, like, bridges that would just go off into some crazy world. And we enjoyed it, but we knew that they were never going to be hit songs. Right. Um, but that was my contribution. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. That was the part so, that was, that was the part that was, that was you. That was the part that was me and it didn't fit, yeah. you know? And so we, we'd record things and people loved it, but nobody knew what to do with it. And thank God, because <laughs> that was, that would have been not, that would have been, that was just a stepping stone. It was just a right. way for me to move an inch further into New York, you yeah. know, and discover who you were and important, right. right? Right. And that's when I met Jesse Harris, who is a, um, we met because of a colleague of mine at MTV who had grown up with him, who knew that I was a singer, even though I was very private about it. I never talked about it. Interesting. And that's still true today. I don't, because I do wear two hats. I'm right. both an organizer yeah. right. and a musician. So I'm very, you know, when I'm doing my job, I'm very focused on that. So at MTV, I was very quiet about it, but mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to uh, jump ship. Yeah. And I had met Jesse going when I was leaving MTV, and he came to hear me perform at the bitter end with his journal, and I thought he was a writer, and <laughs> um, like a journalist of some right. sort. And when I finished, he introduced himself, and I realized, oh, who he was. And right, so this is who she's talking we, about, right? Yeah, and we got together, and we actually became a couple right away. Okay. And uh, it wasn't for a few months before he had a performance, and uh, I was so nervous because 
um, I hadn't heard his music yet. And oh, I God, thought right. Myself, what if I don't like it? What if I hate it? <laughs> right. And yeah. then what? God, what that would I be do? terrible. Yeah. I have to leave him. What right. right. Absolutely. Always the danger of dating another musician. No, I know. Always hear their music first. Right. Good call. But, uh, That's a great piece of advice there. We should but pull you that out. You lucked out, and he you lucked out, and he's well, a pretty brilliant songwriter. Right. Right. That's actually not true because, of course, we have many facets to our sure. Mm. But it is kind of funny to hear. So he was playing at. Um, it's gone now, of course, as is most things in New York. Mm. But at, from that time, it was it was a little. I think it was the Ludlow Street Cafe that was downstairs on Ludlow Street. And I went with a friend and we were talking and having dinner and drinks. And Jesse came out and he started to play and my jaw dropped. It was (laughs) then that I heard my music. But I was like, that's it. Wow. That's the music that I make. And so we started. I know. So we started songwriting, and the songs that we wrote were exactly what, they were holistic yeah. in that, <laughs> you know, I would throw in a, 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 a part to a tune that I'd be, I'd be hearing prior, and it sounded disjointed, because the songwriters and I were not on the same page, and with Jesse, right. there was no form, there was right. no, uh, there was no need to do anything except be expressive and I could start to write melodies that were really just you. at the time really fun and challenging to sing that were expressive for me like an outlet finally right. yeah and that was that we got on our path we became a group we through Jesse I was introduced to a world of jazz musicians mm-hmm. and young jazz musicians that have of course, since become pretty influential in yeah. the jazz world. And we had a couple of years, we, we were signed. Um, well, I know this is getting somewhat long, but we were playing every week at Chenet Cafe, which is also mm-hmm. gone. That's also gone. Yeah, I remember right. that. Though. Yeah. Every Monday, mm-hmm. right before Jeff Buckley, which was wow. always. In, wow. Yeah. Oh, it man. Was such a great time. What a great time. So, yeah. We we um, developed this band sound, Kurt Rosenwinkel and Ben Street and Kenny Wallison, and before him, Jim Black. Mm-hmm. Just just extraordinary musicians that yeah. took the songs and pulled out the harmony more. Just right. created these incredible worlds of sound yeah. that was incredible for me to sing, sing to be a part of it. Absolutely, band, the instrument. And uh, we were at CBGB's gallery one night because sometimes we'd venture into other clubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was an extension of CBGB, yeah. which both are gone now. They're both gone. Yeah. Yep. But uh, Bowery's not the same. No, no. It's, uh, very gentrified. Mm-hmm. So we um, got off the stage and it just so happened that the president of EMI was there who had just taken post. To, to wow. EMI Records, um, David Segerson. And he approached the stage and he said, do you have a record deal? And I said, no. And he said, do you want one? And I said, who are you? <laughs> and he introduced himself. 
And our manager and lawyer were there, and everybody was white as a ghost. Right. It was still one of those moments. Right. That doesn't happen. Time. Well, it's rare. Yeah. The thing is, is, at that time... It still did a little bit, you, yeah. You had to earn. You played. You played live. You built a sound. You right. created a sound. You created an audience. There was a community. And hopefully, you were discovered. Mm. And then there was this avenue of being signed and making records and getting on the radio. There were things that you could actually accomplish at that time. It was just the end of it, really. So we were signed to EMI. We uh, toured the nation and did pretty well mm-hmm. where, where we all saw each other, right? And yeah, right, right. Music hall with them. Um, I don't remember if it was the October Project. Do you remember? I think you were actually opening for Sean Colvin when we saw you. Okay, right. So that was a fun tour. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It was you, yeah, and the the way you toured, at least least for that show, it was uh, you and Jesse on guitar and uh, Upright Player. That was Ben, right? We did a trio. Yeah. Because Sean was solo and really is one of the... Mm -hmm best at solo. It's oh, so God. hard oh. to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, so EMI went bankrupt in America. And when they did, they were the first of the, the, the big series of, of mergers, right. That started to happen in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. And we were released and, you know, we found ourselves not having another opportunity, which was not to be not something I think any of us expected, right. and that's why it's so good it happened, right? right. To never right. have expectations, and mm-hmm. an outcome is not not the thing to be focused on. But right. at 27, right. you, you, you don't know not, that. You may, you may or may not. Yeah. Right. I certainly didn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have. Not oh, at 27. No. Me either. Right. So we were cut loose. And that was the beginning of my journey. Yeah. Um, to really, I feel like what I what I was able to acquire from from all of that was to be able to identify the starting point, you know, of where my creativity was to become my own, where yeah. the authentic, which you're talking about with your uh, students or with the people around. I mean, the authentic. The, the authentic voice yeah. and yep. the authentic path, which is sometimes, you know, overused a bit, but I think we all understand it. It's a, who are we and how do we, do we access, how do we shed, you know, the things that we know or hear or see to be able to, well, to integrate and shed, right? Yeah, right. Integrate the experiences and on and to also release them so we can find our find our own true uh, selves in the work that we choose. And right. that was that was really the beginning of it for me back so you, in nineteen ninety eight. So it sounds like you really you really found your voice uh, not just as a, a a writer but but as a singer through that yeah. that collaboration yeah. and then through that experience. And, and, you know, what happened, too, is, you know, when Jesse and I split, Jesse had always held on to the uh, guitar duties, mm-hmm. you know? Right. 
And that became really important for me to be able to, because he he was accessing such interesting harmony and Mm -hmm. helped me to create really the interesting melodies. Mm -hmm. And so... At 28, when we split, I picked up the guitar for the very first time. That's the first time you started playing? That's when you started playing? Because I was going to say, yeah. I, I, wow. I actually really, <laughs> really enjoy the way you oh, play guitar. I love your playing. I really do. Thank you. That's yes. Thank you. Fascinating. Well, I love that. Yeah, so you, I love that, too. So, I love that, too. And I think it's important for everybody to know that, you know, it's never too late. Right, right. When it's, when it's time, when mm-hmm. you're ready, yeah. you know... The things that you need just kind of surface, and I think it's a matter of being clear enough to just capture it and run with it. Yeah. You know, and that was a very painful moment for me. Oh, I'm sure. You know, to be listening to where I was, Yeah. you know, musically, and to, to have have to start from scratch. Sure, you right. You know, and doing performances and playing guitar just terribly, but having to <laughs> having to, to do it, right. you know, on the stage because it's part of it. You, yeah, you get yeah. better as a musician, and watching the audience like be completely confused, like right. what what is she doing? She right. went from here to <laughs> right. there, right, right. But um, and you know, the audience just like flattened out and then left, and it was me. With my guitar and and my new band, just determined to take the writing to to the next step. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so that's a good tidbit to oh, have that's... for people. I think. Oh, oh it's fantastic! Yeah. It's the work. It's a it's about not giving up, and and then finding that authentic voice and and going. All right, so this is what I'm this is what I'm going to do. This is what yeah. I'm about. Yeah. And so that exactly. must have been a that must have been around the the. Same time that we saw you at the C note, we that we ran into you again at the C note. We actually with played, your band. I think we you actually were playing played with before you. Piece. We actually played before you at the C at the C note in in the village. Ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so was I. So the C note is the club that kind of goes downstairs too. Correct. No, it's not. I it's think actually, it's, 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 it's all on one. It's floor. on Avenue C. Yeah, it's all on one floor. Avenue. Little jazz. Yeah, it's a little jazz. Club. I think it's like the. Fire capacity is like seventy-eight people or something. <laughs> I think that's great what little. It's a great little club. I, and, that wasn't Hotel Galvez, was it? No, it was. It was just a little club, just right there. Yeah, yeah. and it's oh. still it's still there. I think. Yeah. So it's one that has yeah. maintained. Figures, and I don't remember the club. <laughs> <laughs> the one I don't remember is the one that's open. No, but I. So we came in. Now was I playing so duo? Maybe? No, I think if you had a trio. I think there's an upright yeah, there player a, and a drummer. Yeah, there was a band. There okay, was, so that might have been... I wonder who at that time. Yeah. Well, now, might when did you start a, to really play more with uh, with your husband, Larry? Yeah, so Larry was, you know, the other massive gift in life. And he... What happened with that is um, we had been playing with Ben Street for... Many years. Mm-hmm. Can you still hear me? Yes, yes we can, we absolutely. Can. And he had to take a vacation. He was really needing a break. And, you know, the bass is so integra- integral from oh, the yeah. Oh, yeah. music that that I was really 
nervous about it. And he recommended this guy named Larry Grenadier. And I said, great, can I have his number? And he goes, ah, maybe not because he's so busy. And I said, no, 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 give me his number. He's your first pick. So I called Larry and Larry was available, it turned out. And it was just a couple of, maybe it was one performance at J&R Music World that's now closed too. It was down by the Brooklyn Bridge. It was one of the big, big, you know, like Tower Records, but right. uh, more specific, more of a New York City record store. Yeah. So we rehearsed for this, and, you know, within a couple of rehearsals, I really, I, I had been recently separated from Jesse. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really fell for this person, and uh, for for a very specific reason. But it, you know, where he, he caught my attention, and he was very quiet. So there was this moment. Always a bass player. So moment. <laughs> I love that. I love <laughs> bass players. Can I say my favorite? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so I fell in love with him pretty quickly, and. You know, within three months, I asked him to marry me. I mean, I just knew. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And uh, within a year, we decided we had a date. The date, three months later, we were engaged. And a year to the day of our first date, we got married because as a tourist and as an organizer, I wanted only one day to remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> this is remember the day we met day. and it's our anniversary. There it is. Absolutely. Exactly. If only you could have had your son born on the same day, that would have been the I best. Know. Well, that's not like hailing a cab. No, 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 not at all. It really isn't. It's really not. <laughs> so we were married in June of 1997, and we, you know, started our relationship playing together prior to falling in love right. and starting a, a family. So we've always had this incredible connection musically and of course personally and so we've been um, playing music for that that long there was a time period where i worked with a uh, matt penman who was another great musician mm-hmm. um and dug into that for a minute uh larry and i were actually separated for a little bit which okay. is why that happened yeah but um you know just uh, finding your way through everything. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Indeed. So, but we've been playing music ever since, and it's now my favorite way to perform. And, yeah. uh, well, I, was gonna, I actually wanted to ask you about that. There was a, you have a great video on your website um, of you and Larry playing Sunday Morning, and which Thank is a you. phenomenal oh. song. I just, that Thank song to me, I just... We just couldn't stop watching that video. It, we just kept watching it over well, and over again. And I like I like both the versions of it. I like the one that's on that, and also on the Upstate Project that I do want to ask you about. But I, I just, well, just the song itself. It just it it feels like Sunday morning to me. I mean, it it's one of the, the one of your gifts as a songwriter is, uh, you know, Adam and I were saying, you know, it just gives us all the feels. I mean, all of them. It's just, you know, I was going to sort of just, you know ball you out briefly just for making me cry all the time just every time you sing <laughs> and start tearing up so but there's well, a there's but this I love your moment. Also. <laughs> there's this moment on that video at the end where and I don't know if you have never played with somebody for a long time like Adam and I have done for ages if you would recognize it but you 
briefly look up at him and turn back and that's the end of that's the, song. the ending it's like there's that's no the words one. there's no real look there's nothing discernible but uh, like it's the most beautiful cue we're just, about to end it's i just get we just geeked out about how incredible it was i'm so thrilled that the videographer captured that moment because it says a lot about not just your i mean you can read so much about your relationship as musicians in that moment well, yeah. let me tell you how much I appreciate that sensitivity, you know, and uh, because, you know, these are, and what I, what I experienced in New York coming up, and also in Maine, but really in New York, which is where I cut my teeth and where I learned so much, you know, is that it is all human. It is all, you know, about the interaction and the communication yeah. of people mm. that, kept me wanting to go hear music, kept me... Right. I mean, I was out hearing live music every night. I could not get enough of it. <laughs> right, right. And today it seems, you know, it seems to, to really be different. I mean, I have uh, some some generational, well, not much, but I have uh, some relationships with those in a, the generation now behind me. Mm-hmm. Because a generation is 25 years, so right. that's um, for somebody to be in the next generation is is a big one. But I get, I don't know, whatever, they're in their 20s and 30s, yeah. you know, and it's all about being, uh, it's all about these short films and selfies and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that there's anything... I don't want to sound like a grandma. You don't want to sound like, you kids get off my lawn. <laughs> right. right. No. <laughs> because, you know, who am I to say? But what is really striking is I just don't relate, you know, which is kind of a strange sensation. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. It, but I don't uh, judge it. It's just not for right. me. And I miss the intimacy of that community feeling and mm-hmm. of just being a good musician and so for you guys to, to you know, be so sensitive and kind to listen like you do, and uh, to want to talk about those things, yeah, it's heartwarming. Oh well, that's thank you. <laughs> well, that's, that's so that so, makes us feel good. So I want to do one more. I want to I want to say one more thing about that for the, any of the listeners that are, uh, that are going to hear this. That I really want them to go check out your music because one of the things that you do well that. Uh, that I uh, that a, that great jazz singers do is you have this absolute gift for <sighs> phrasing something in a way that's unexpected, paired with a melody that I wasn't ready for. That take the song and me as the listener to a whole nother spot, and. You do that so well on, I mean, a Sunday morning is, is a perfect example for me. I'll just go back to that one because it just, the the melody and the notes and the placement of those, the phrasing on that chorus, if you want to call it a chorus, <laughs> are, it, it's just the, it's the epitome of what you look for in that kind of acoustic jazz. Well, you know, I think if people were to think about, I mean, phrasing we're doing it now in conversation. Right, right, right. I mean, if you were to record <laughs> and transcribe what we're saying, 
or how we're saying it. Yes. The the, the phrases, the the way the words are flowing and Absolutely. or not flowing or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I really would you know love to remind people that phrasing is as unique as speaking. Absolutely. You know that it's not that to some degree there isn't a whole lot of thought that's put into it. Mm-hmm. That it's just how you're you're interacting with the time yeah. that you were being given, mm-hmm. the, the framework, the bass, the drum. Right. You know, and so it's just that interaction. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on phrasing and people trying to create phrases. And there's, again, that's another approach. But what I really think about phrasing is that it, it's nothing that um, that I put any any effort into and I think it's simply because I relate to music just as something to work with to bounce off of and to um, and I think it's that simple for people and I also think it's wonderful some minds want to examine those things and they should yeah Nothing wrong with transcribing things. Right, right. Well, I, I love the way that you said that, that, that you broke it down to the, that's the thing that comes easy, easiest in, in it, that for it, you. It really does. And Adam yeah. and I would ad, we would quantify that as your superpower. Right. That, that, that everybody's <laughs> got a superpower. You know what I mean? What, like, that's what we talk to our artists about, about looking for what it is that, that sets you apart, looking for your superpower. It's the thing that people compliment you on that you feel like you shouldn't be complimented really on like because it comes easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's a really astute way of, of uh, communicating those things because it is true that we take for granted the things that that do come very simple and human beings have this way of wanting more. Yeah. Right. You know, right. before they're, they're able to really dig in and appreciate, which requires... Being still requires, you know, being patient and slow. Yeah. Yep. In order to really say these are these are the things that that I do and that I can can really put out in the world, and it's something to take good care of and to <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, and to well, but it's not easy to do. No, and the know? patience is the patience is the hardest part, isn't it? Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and saying saying so yeah. is the first step. Right. You know. Yeah. Right. Of doing, you know, and doing it because I never want to give the impression that I'm, you know. There's so many levels of, or depths of, uh, of uh, uh, awareness. Yeah. That, you know, some of us are, <laughs> and it's a lot of work. It's a daily work. It is work. And sometimes oh, yeah. it can be yeah. tiring, but it's. Um, it's what it's all about. Well, being a yeah. human is work itself, and then trying to be an artist on top of that is is another yeah. level. You know, what, before we run out of time, I I just did, I wanted to ask a couple of quick questions. One was, I just if you could speak briefly to the to your new project, the Upstate Project, and and its uh, you know sort of its inception and and how that came to be. And yeah, well, Guillermo Klein is someone who. You know, I also met in New York, and I'm. For those who aren't familiar with his music, um, Guillermo is a pretty special composer. He's mm-hmm. from Argentina yeah. and arranger. And um, you know, he was the guy in New York that everyone was. We were all totally in awe of him. <laughs> the music that he was yeah. making and 
music that the Palinger owns that you could play forward and backward and right. it was the same piece of music. It's like, what the hell is wow. that? How does he do <laughs> So he was really someone that was on my bucket list to yeah. work with. And, you know, he, he, uh, 15 years later, he, you know, I'm in, I'm in upstate New York. He mm-hmm. moved back to New York and I just reached out and, and to see if there was a, Mutual interest. collaborative yeah. possibility, initially thinking maybe he would arrange some of my, my tunes for another record mm-hmm. or right. something. And we got together and just decided, you know, he brought up some of his songs and, and none of them have real lyrics to them except maybe some Spanish lyrics, but yeah. hardly, you know, any, any uh, certainly no, no English lyrics. No one's ever sat down to craft lyrics around his tunes that, that I was aware of. Yeah. So wow. I started doing it and it just felt, it was so fun and it's not simple to do for me because now I really need a guitar in my hands wow. in order yeah. to write. Okay. So it's just very meditative for me to have that, the guitar and just repeating phrases to find melodies and then to craft words. And so to get music, just music only, that's complete to write words that, I don't know, that I feel like I can sing. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with Guillermo, I was able to do it. We decided to create a collective instead of an individual project of mine. Yeah. And that's how it began. And we've documented it. We're both you know, I'm not sure if we're going to do any more. I mean, we spent two years just so concentrated on this project. And, yeah. Well, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a masterpiece of it. It's a, it's just a work of art. No. Absolutely. The, the entire album is just, um, I put so much into it. I'm, I'm so glad you feel that. Well, well we can, it, you, we can feel it. We can feel what you put into it. It shows. It, it really shows. I, I, Thank you. Uh, one of my, one of my absolute favorite, uh, tracks on it is uh, outside. It rains for them. You and I are kin because let me tell you, that's my favorite too. That's the first song I wrote for, for for him. That's wow. the first lyric that came. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. The subject matter, I couldn't believe. You know, I think my tunes are bittersweet, but mm-hmm. rarely is it focused on it. I mean, that song is about a prostitute, which is like, what? Where right. are yeah. these ideas coming from? Right, I right. Well, you never... impression of this moment. Um, another was about a train crash. And I'm just thinking, I can only do this for a little bit. I can't go into this world right. as often as it seems to just be tragic. Well, and you mentioned, you mentioned that the, the bittersweet piece and that Part of that for me is is the subject matter that you're talking about, but then you have this crazy great line about bottoms up to love. Yeah, and oh, I, the hopefulness. The hopefulness of it that it just it it to me it encapsulates sort of a jazz singer's career. It's this this hopefulness of the next song, the next melody the next lyric the next it just it just it killed me it's just just a great well, phenomenal that, song there's times in people's lives that are really 
challenging and and to the degree that I think it's hard sometimes to imagine moving forward. Yeah. You know, in any capacity. Yeah. I think everybody experiences that. Yeah. You know, and so these these tunes that I write, they they seem to to be kind of locked in that idea, that experience, you know, of things being at their most challenging, but there being this this um, this concept, whatever it might be, in this case, bottoms up to love. That <laughs> like somehow she is going to pursue this right. idea of love, yeah, even right. though in this moment she's nowhere near it. But it's only a moment that that may come. It's the moment where where everything just flips and switches. It's mm-hmm. a moment, right? Yeah. So being able to view the view life that way, you yeah. know, to hang in there, I think is uh, kind of a theme. It absolutely is. Oh, absolutely. So we've run out of time, and I would be remiss, I think we would be remiss if we didn't uh, ask you to speak at least briefly to your your community organizing uh, that you've been doing for a long time, and the kind of role that that not only plays in your life, but informs your art. Well, I mean, that could be a whole... (laughs) <laughs> I'm certain of that, but I just feel like I had to. For, no, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And you know, when when we had our son Charlie, I came off the road a hundred completely. You know, and my creativity. Did I lose you? No, we're nope, still, we're here. still here. Okay, my creativity shifted into you know this place that's not foreign to me because I've been doing my coordinating um, and organizing, as I said, for as long as I can see. Right. As a child. All right, so, sadly. So, unfortunately, that just became untenable um, audio-wise. So, she wanted to, Rebecca wanted to talk a lot about uh, the community organizing that she did, and it's really close to her heart. Absolutely. Uh, Great stuff. It's great stuff, and if you're interested in reading more about that, uh, just go to her a phenomenal website, RebeccaMartin.com. There are so much great stuff there. There's great yeah. like videos and video clips, and and it talks about her community organizing. Exactly. Um, so I, I don't know about you. I just had that was just a blast. Oh my gosh! Great... Well, I'm such a fan. You know what I mean? I've, I I've been such a big fan of hers for so long. And she, yeah. we we ran into her strangely, just like ran into her like two or three times when yeah. we used to tour. Throughout, yeah, throughout our career. And you know, she was always just amazing and super. She helpful was exactly and... what she just was today. Yeah. You know that that's that's her. Yeah. There's there's you know she that really talk about authenticity. Oh man, no kidding. Right? Huh? That woman is. A, I love that she's talking about the beginning of her career where she was being authentic. Even before she knew before she really knew, who she was. Right. Before she knew what authenticity right. was. Knowing that she had to bail on, on MTV because that wasn't her. Right. You know, not being able to put into words, you know, watching these manicured, pedicured, right. you know, sparkly right. artists and right. going, wow, that is so not me. Yeah. Uh, and then f- running into, to, you know, Jesse. Right, Harris, and hearing him play and go, "Wow, that's me. That's my, that's me. That's my music." Right, and I'm, and where she's gone since then has been more and more uh, focused uh, and artistic, yeah, and authentic, yeah, and just 
Incredible. Just incredible. Incredible. So. Check her new album out, Upstate, uh, The Upstate Project, uh, and all of her music. It's just it's fantastic. Just phenomenal. And, phenomenal. you know, <laughs> for anybody starting out out there, the being authentic yeah. and not worrying about uh, anything other than that, man, keep that with you. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Remember, you got this. I'll get you back. Yeah.